How much did you say it was? You're kidding me. Why is it so expensive? Having spent my working life in veterinary practice, a lot of it as a practice owner, I'm well used to comments about how much veterinary services cost. Some in jest, some in shock, and occasionally some in anger. Is this fair criticism though? Let's take a closer look. You are listening to The Vet Podcast, presented by veterinarian Dr. Brian Greger from New Zealand. Join us as we discuss pet health issues from around the world. We were out having a couple of beers with some friends last night and I got the comment again. Someone turned to me and said, I've just had my dog to the vet. God, vets are expensive. This is a comment that's actually coming up quite a bit lately. It was on New Zealand television earlier this week, actually, where there was a segment in a program where they were discussing the price of veterinary medicine. I note that the Veterinary Innovation podcast, either early this week or late last week, had an episode on the price of veterinary medicine. And my social feeds are actually popping up comments from vets and from clients about the price of veterinary medicine. So I think here we go, completely unscripted. Here is my, I won't say rent, here is my take on the price of veterinary medicine. So look, often these comments are in jest, but I have been introduced more than a few times as this is Brian Greger, my vet, the richest man in Timaru. I don't think so. There is this perception that veterinarians have a license to print money. Now, another comment that I sometimes hear, or I won't say sometimes, often hear, is that it costs me less when I see my doctor. I'll put this comment to bed straight away. At least here in New Zealand, human medical expenses receive a government subsidy. The doctor's fee, blood tests, x-rays, medicine, surgery all have a large proportion of the expenses covered by the government. Although this may not occur in every country, I am led to believe that it is common enough. So as the saying goes, you are not comparing apples with apples when you put the cost of veterinary treatment beside human treatment. And to reinforce this further, an ovarohysterectomy or spay of a female dog may put you back something like $350, $400 in New Zealand. Compare that with, in New Zealand, the latest prices that I've seen for a human hysterectomy, which is pretty much the same surgery, will cost somewhere between thirteen dollars and $15,000. So let's peer back the veterinary fee a little bit and see where this money does go. The kind of figures that are bandied about, and these are approximate, are as follows. In New Zealand, 15% of the fee is GST, goods and services tax, which is the equivalent of VAT in England. About 20% pays the veterinary nurses, receptionists, and other support staff. About 20% pays for the drugs and the other odds and ends, the other items used in treatments. 20%-ish pays for clinic overheads like the lease, insurance, management. And that leaves, if my maths is right, about 20% as the vet's income. So if you follow this through, 
if the vet didn't actually charge for their time, which is what people seem to complain about, the veterinary fee would only decrease by 20%. So a $500 charge would only drop to $400. Not a huge difference if you take out that veterinary fee. I do agree that sometimes vet bills may appear more expensive than they used to be. So let's have a look at what may have happened. When I qualified as a veterinarian, and bear in mind that this is almost 40 years ago, veterinary medicine was, by our standards, relatively rudimentary. Our companion animal pharmacy only really consisted of a few antibiotics, cortisone, eye drops, and maybe an old anti-inflammatory that we don't use anymore. I'm probably oversimplifying this, but I guess you get the point. Things have moved on. Things like blood tests, they were available from a commercial lab. By the time the samples were put on the bus, that only left the small town I first worked in twice a week. The tests were run in a lab and the results mailed out. So it could take upwards of a week. The animal would either be better or dead by the time we got the results. So normally we didn't bother. Anesthetics were fairly crude. Often we would be using things like long-acting intravenous barbiturates or some really primitive inhalation anaesthetics. Qualified veterinary nurses or techs were not a thing. Anaesthetic monitoring was the exception rather than the rule. You get the picture. Things have changed a lot. So these days, the scope of what is available as far as veterinary treatment goes has advanced by light years. Drugs are unrecognisably advanced, but unfortunately, they come at a cost. The drug companies are always going to want to recoup their R&D spend. It has now become expected that clinics will have their own in-house blood analyzers, ultrasound machines, x-rays, you know, general and dental x-ray machines. A number of practices are even investing in things like CT scanners. These devices have gone from being a nice to have to a must have. I probably don't need to say, but a lot of them are quite expensive with clinics having to have hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of gear. Unfortunately, they have to be paid for. A simple example of this could be something like, I don't know, an anaesthetic death. If a complaint is made and investigated by the regulatory authority, one of the first couple of questions that would most likely be asked was, was the pre-anaesthetic blood testing done? What monitoring was undertaken during the anaesthetic, which these days would include heart and breathing monitors, possibly an ECG, respiratory rate. These all require monitoring equipment and trained staff to operate them. There is a term that is used by most medical professions, defensive medicine. That equates to covering your backside. If something goes wrong or if a client doesn't like what you have done, have you done everything you could have? to prevent the event? And have you recorded it? Now, the cynic in me says that defensive medicine can lead to overdiagnosis and without a doubt, an increased cost to the client. There is no doubt that the increase in knowledge, diagnostics and available treatment comes at a cost, but there is also a great benefit as far as the results. If you know what you are treating and have the drugs or surgical techniques to get a good response, this has got to be a good thing, right? 
This increase in veterinary costs does throw up a huge dilemma that vets and owners have to wrestle with. Vets, by their very nature, want to do the best for the animals and for the owner. What do you do if the owner cannot afford to pay for treatment? As veterinarians, our first responsibility is to prevent suffering to the animal. If the owner cannot pay for the treatment, unfortunately, the course of action may not be very palatable for the owner. Some clinics will have a fund that they can use at their discretion to cover some of the cost for some cases. This may have come from a bequest from someone or a fund set aside by the practice. Some clinics may take over the ownership of the animal, cover the cost of treatment and attempt to rehome it. In some areas, there are charity organisations that may be able to help, either financially or some even have their own veterinarians and may be able to offer subsidised treatment. And then, of course, there is the tragic situation where the only option is euthanasia. This is absolutely a no-win for everybody involved. If you do find a situation where you have got an animal with a condition which the estimate from the veterinarian is a little bit out of your ballpark, just to have a talk to them, let them know what your expectations are and what your budget is. I think you'll find that most veterinarians will try and adjust the treatment to actually fit in with what you are able to do. Of course, there are other factors that affect veterinary fees. Geographies sometimes mentioned, rural versus urban. In my opinion, this isn't a big one. There are a couple of forces cancelling each other out. It may be harder to attract some veterinarians to rural areas, meaning they are paid more. Although, as I have mentioned before, veterinary remuneration probably only makes up about 20% of the fee. On the other side, the overheads of the practice are probably lower. There is often more competition in urban areas, so I'm not convinced about this whole urban versus rural thing. So how can pet owners keep their veterinary expenses to a reasonable amount? I know that there's been a lot of discussion on vaccinations generally, but in the veterinary context, there are a number of potentially fatal conditions such as parvovirus, rabies, distemper, which have really effective vaccinations available. So number one is make sure your pet's vaccinations are up to date. This is money well spent. If you have a car, you probably get it regularly serviced. Get your pet serviced as well. Regular checkups, which are often associated with the vaccination booster, will often detect health issues earlier. It's often less expensive to treat a condition in the early stages and probably will have a better outcome than when it gets really established. Don't skimp on the diet either. Be sure to feed a good quality, balanced diet. Just talk to your vet. They will be able to guide you on the best quality, best value diet that will specifically suit your pet. As a thought, if you are getting a pet, please, please do a budget first. Find out how much it's going to cost to feed it, to house it, and consider the healthcare costs. Also, do your homework on specific issues your potential new pet may have. Is the breed prone to arthritis, breathing issues, specific cancers, or any other conditions? Truthfully, some breeds are a lot more expensive to run than others. I'll finish off with pet insurance. This has become quite commonplace. 
If you have pet insurance, it just takes a lot of financial stress out of any decisions if your pet gets sick. Just a word of warning though, there are policies and policies. Read the fine print before you sign. So are veterinary fees expensive? Possibly. Are they justified? In my opinion, yes. I do hope that this has helped to explain some of the factors that influence the cost of your pet's veterinary care. So here's something for you to keep your ears open for in future. I'm just in the final stages of organising another discussion with Dr. Kelly Deal, who some of you may remember we talked to previously. She is the Senior Director of Science and Communications for the Morris Animal Foundation. We discussed the Golden Retriever Lifetime Study. The Morris Animal Foundation has got a large number of studies past and present and we're going to discuss some of the latest studies so just keep an eye on wherever you get your podcast from and once it's up have a listen and that's it for another episode of the vet podcast all of our links are in one place at beacons.ai slash vetpodcast that is b-e-a-c-o-n-s dot a-i slash vetpodcast on behalf of me brian gregor and everybody else involved in the making of this podcast thanks for listening and we'll catch you again soon